Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and welcome to Games on Film. for joining us on Games on Film, and this episode is covering a third film in a franchise which, as far as I'm aware, was hitherto not video game related. Well, yeah, that's true, because when I suggested this movie, you were like, really? How video gamey is this third film? And we watched the trailer, the answer is extremely. Extremely with a capital X. Yes, we are talking today about Spy Kids 3D, Game over. The reason for us doing this episode at this present time is because of the release of Elita Battle Angel, which is the new film from Robert Rodriguez, who is the creator of the Spy Kids franchise. Mm. I remember hearing about the movie Elita Battle Angel way back when, when I think Spy Kids 3D was coming out. It's a long time coming, isn't it? And there's quite a few parallels between this new uh, film, Alita, and Spy Kids 3D. I must admit, I've not seen Alita yet. It's coming out on a wide release, I think the day after this podcast gets released. So um, I guess I'll see for myself whether or not it matches the quality of Spy Kids 3D. Are you going to see it? I think so, yes. I think I want to be part of the conversation. Okay. (laughs) I'm not sure based on at least a clip I saw shared on Facebook, I think, whether I really want to be part of that conversation. Well, I do feel that this film has changed my anticipation of the new film. Well, I guess here's the thing. Let's talk about Robert Rodriguez, because as you said, this the Spy Kids franchise is his baby. I was reading up on this. He had the idea for this franchise back in 1994, but he didn't have the experience he felt. The special effects weren't up to what he had in his mind. He thought he was going to have a lot of special effects. I'm, I mean, I first encountered him with through uh, Desperado. And when did that come out? Was that 95? I think or so, four? 95, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he famously created, is it El Mariachi or the shoestring budget? And then the film Desperado was sort of, sort of higher budgeted, sort of refashioning remake, sort of sequel. And um, so, yeah, I can see at that time he could never do a basically what he described as James Bond meets Willy Wonka. I think he described <laughs> Well, that's what he described the first film as being James Bond meets Willy Wonka. But he is a director who has sort of skipped back and forth between what you would consider a Robert Rodriguez film being very stylish, slick, violent action films mm-hmm. and then family focused movies. Yeah, so here's the thing. Robert Rodriguez falls into the category of director who I uh, very much admire as a person and as a filmmaker, though I have a very um, flip-flop relationship with his films. Some, I was looking back through his catalogue. I, uh, I watched the th- three Spy Kids films. After watching three Spy Kids films, I went back and looked at the films I uh, enjoyed in his oeuvre and... There's some great stuff. I do love Desperado. The Faculty, I think everyone really likes. It's a sort Mm -hmm. of low-key 
horror film and everyone thinks oh this is the film um after robert patrick did uh, terminator 2 but before elijah woods did fellowship of the ring so i like the faculty uh, from dust till dawn is not a per not a brilliant film but it's, it's nice and grindhousey and of course mentioning grindhouse you got um planet terror which is mm. his half of the grindhouse films he did with quentin tarantino and i feel the better half of that grindhouse with uh, the series but have you seen anything else by him since because it seems like he had his time a little bit in that in that sort of sphere. I mean, it seemed like he was churning lots of films out, and then since Planet Terror wasn't doing so much, he did his... Well, there was Sin City, which was mm. another big film of his, and then there was the sequel that he did, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Um, but I think that was maybe his last film up until Alita Battle Angel. Oh, how about Machete's films? Oh, yeah, the Machete We're films. going to talk about Machete later. That's but, true. But um, Robert Rodriguez became a sort of cottage industry in mm. the 2000s. And this goes back to my respect thing. Um, he decided, no one's making the kind of films I want to see. I'm going to make the films I want to see. And they are proudly Mexican, um, as is his background. And that's all well and good. But that does mean he doesn't really answer to anyone when it comes down to quality control. He sort of, what he did with Planet Terror, he then went on to do in films like Machete and films like... Um, Machete Kills. Machete Kills and films like... Um, if Sin City, that came out and I wasn't sure how I felt about it. And I eventually decided I really do like Sin City 1 because it's a great sort of parody of hard-boiled detective stuff. And then I looked more into Frank Miller... And then who wrote Sin City? And I realised, oh no, it's not a parody. They they just really dig this this mm. this, this this treatment of women and things like that. So you, know, you can't deny that that film looks gorgeous because it looks very much like the comic book. But um, in in a lot of Robert Rodriguez's later films and in these Spy Kids films, which are all under his studio, Troublemaker Studios, I think he could have used somebody another voice in the mix because he also famously writes and directs and produces and, and does the music for all these films but his brand of filmmaking is also very much fast cheap filmmaking so i think part of it is not just about him not answering to anyone i think there's a little bit of quality control in terms of quantity control because spy kids one two and three all came out 2001, 2002, 2003. So you're talking about mm. a year gap in between each of them. And so, with all that location filming? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lack of. Mm. So, I mean, Spy Kids 3D came out in 2003, the same year as Once Upon a Time in Mexico. So that's two films he has made. And it sort of explains why some actors were not as available as yeah. perhaps they were in some of the other films because too busy doing Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I, I agree. I admire him as a filmmaker because he did. He is a self-made filmmaker in that respect. In terms of El Mariachi, he sort of famously donated his body to experimentation so that he could raise the funds in order to make oh my it. God. Yeah, he's kind of made this sort of slap dash grindhousey feel type type of film his sort of trademark and all the trailers for elisa look super glossy and maybe that's due to the the steering hand of producer james cameron i feel like he's a 
he's a better filmmaker than the kind of films that he makes. And I, I don't think he's genuinely Grindhouse. And so he's trying to do Grindhouse, but not quite succeeding. I feel like he's not being so true to himself. Or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm barking up a completely wrong tree. But the Grindhouse films he made with Quentin Tarantino are an emulation of the Grindhouse films that they both loved. But they are still an emulation. You, you know for a fact these guys can command big budgets and they put a lot of money into making cheap looking movies. I think it's one of those things where it's the difference between something that is cool and something that thinks it's cool. And I feel like hmm. sometimes in his films he generally pulls out cool stuff and other times it feels like he is doing stuff because he thinks it's cool. Sometimes a fine line, it's hard to really pinpoint what's what, but even in his best work, there are moments where I, I'm not 100% on board with what he's doing because, I mean, I I really enjoyed Desperado and... I'm not sure he's made a better film than Desperado, though. I, I mean, I'd argue The Faculty is, oh, is perhaps good. because it's less his voice. Mm. The Faculty is maybe his most rounded mm. work because I think that was the script was by Kevin Williamson, I think, who did oh, Scream. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas he's more hands-on with everything else. And yes, there's a case of answering to different people um, and by making everything in-house. I mean, even the visual effects, I think, for Spy Kids 3D was in-house with Troublemaker Digital yes. or something. Um, Spy, I read in the trivia for Spy Kids 2 that Spikers 2, Island of Lost Dreams, uh, had double the special effects shots, but Robert Rodriguez did not want to increase the budget, which perhaps explains a lot. It does spring to mind that quote from the Adam and Joe show by Ken Corder when he is creating the fictitious pop band Mm -hmm. 1471 (laughs) and their hit song, Please Please Hold the Line. And he says... Who cares? It's for kids! Yeah, and again, that does seem to me his view of Spy Kids. You you mentioned how he sort of flip-flops between family-orientated stuff and adult-orientated stuff, but I think the Spy Kids films and his kids' films, I admit I have not watched uh, Lava Boy and Shark Girl, or is it the other way around? The Adventures of Shark Boy um, and Lava Girl okay. in 3D. In 3D. I have not watched that film, so I've not watched all his kids' films yet. I wouldn't. I don't know if I would count the Spy Kids films as feeling like kids' films, or they seem to have the same maturity as his adult films. So you can either say the Spy Kids films are too mature for kids, or that his adult films are too immature for adults, um, perhaps. But circling back to Alita... I guess when you ask me, am I looking, am I, am I, do I want to see that? I kind of do, because this seems to be his first attempt in some time to make a quote-unquote proper movie. The trailers are de- very much trying to make uh, the main character, Alita, have a, a character journey, feelings and emotions, and I don't get that from the Spy Kids films. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't get that from a lot of his other films. I mean, the characters in... Sin City, they seem the same from the start as they do at the end. You know, there's not so much character development, even if characters end up dying at the end and stuff like that. So in terms of the Spy Kids films, then, I hadn't seen any of them before we decided to cover the franchise, and in particular Spy Kids 3D. 
And I think at time of release, it was too young for me. One issue that this film has in general is that it's just one in a long line of the trope of the child or teenage super spy. Hmm. And it seems like a really strange... I don't know, there seems to be a lot of kids' films centred around spies. You know, not just involving kids. You have stuff like... Agent Cody Banks. Agent Cody Banks. You have Stormbreaker. You have Teen Agent, although he's barely a child. (laughs) He's like a full-grown man. But you have M.I. High. You have Kim Possible. And not just kids in spy roles. You have... G-Force, which is the Disney movie about the guinea, guinea pig spies, which is Michael actually, Bay. It's actually quite good. Mm-hmm. Just cats and dogs. That's all spy related. I mean, just spy parodies in general. Do you know what the? Oh, you said Teen Agent. Do you know what the main name for Teen Agent is? I think that's the US title. If Lutz could kill. That's an incredible name. I think I like both names. Maybe if they eventually did a long-running series like James Bond and ended up doing 30 teen agent movies by the time, I think mm. by the time that they even did the sequel, they'd have to be, okay, not so teen agent anymore. I did wonder about this third film because the Carmen, who's the female lead of the three Spy Kids films, she's barely in Spy Kids 3. She is very mm. much the damsel in distress, but I wonder if that's because she seems too old she seems like a kid, though, still. Yeah. But I guess there is there is a limit to how old you can be as a spy kid. And <laughs> Until I, you become an actual spy. <laughs> actual spy. So I hadn't seen any of the Spy Kids films, and I went into Spy Kids 3D cold because I decided not to watch Spy Kids 1 or 2 and just watch 3 and see how that felt like. Mm. I couldn't wait to watch Spy Kids 1 and 2. Um, I personally, again, being a little bit older than Rory, this just series passed me by. And that's what happens. When when you're a kid, there's a franchise you grow up with and, and you think it's the, your world. But I was just too old for this one. I did put the word out, though, to see um, if I knew anyone who who really dug the Spy Kids films. And, and your missus responded. My fiance. Your fiance. She said the reason that she loved the series was purely down to Antonio Banderas. She's not wrong. No, um, you look very much like Antonio Banderas, <laughs> and you are you um, often walk around in nothing but a, a hat and and boots, like puss in boots. Yes, I am known as Man in Boots. <laughs> Man in Boots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it came out at the same time as like the Harry Potter films and things mm. like that, and it's. I, I've seen a few of the Harry Potter films, but I have not grown up with that world, so it seems a little bit alien mm. to me. I mean, there's kids out there who grew up with the Star Wars prequels, and that's their Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. Um, I read a tweet the other day where somebody said the first film they saw at the cinema was The Phantom Menace, and it blew their mind. I imagine it would be, and I imagine watching Spy Kids 3D in 3D at the cinema would have blowing a few tiny minds at the same time Mm. so i'm going to reveal my hand now having watched spy kids one two and three in the space of a fortnight i think if you're a parent and you show and you knowingly show your kids these films you're a bad parent (laughs) and i think you actively hate children this series 
kind of made me really angry. <laughs> and I want to just prefix this all by saying we are a podcast of celebration, of lovers, not haters. So I'm going to try and be as kind as I can. And I certainly don't want to imply that anyone who grew up with these films are wrong-headed for doing so. It could be just, again, diff- different generations. Gosh, where to begin? I guess... Looking through this list of films we've done so far on the podcast, we have people like Uabol who have been lambasted for doing terrible, terrible movies. These films are perhaps the worst films I've watched so far in in aid of this podcast. And Robert Rodriguez is guilty of so many of the crimes that people like Uabol and his ilk have have done. So, why don't they get the same? attention well, in that exactly. realm. We... Why are they still heralded as, in quotation marks, good filmmakers, whereas people like Uwe Boll are considered not? I mean, it might be because Uwe Boll is also telling, like, literally everyone to go fuck themselves on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it doesn't a... help if you're confrontational in your defence. Mm. I mean, I don't think Robert Rodriguez has ever beaten anyone up <laughs> in defence of his films. In defence of Spy Kids. Exactly. So, yeah, it just seems baffling to me that some video game movies and the directors thereof have been cited as some of the worst films ever made. And then you get, I read on Wikipedia how especially the first two films are generally well received or even, I think even the first one has like a 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And while the first one I think is, is is the better made film, I found the film series as a whole quite difficult to even understand. And by the third film, and I'm really interested to hear hear what you felt as of the third film as a newbie. But if you're thinking that the third film is like the most incoherent one, you are are wrong. The other two are just as incoherent. And by the time I got to the third film, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm jumping ahead a bit. I feel like I could almost recommend it more because it is just Robert the Spy Kids franchise to the nth degree. I don't think it's a betrayal of what had come first. Well, what did you think a Spy Kids was um, before watching Spy Kids 3? My knowledge of the Spy Kids franchise through cultural osmosis, I was aware that it centred around a brother and a sister. Mm-hmm, correct. Called Junie and Carmen. Correct. Junie is played by Daryl Sabara. Carmen is played by Alexa Vega. I knew that their parents were spies. Mm-hmm. And I think my idea of the first film was maybe the parents went missing and so the kids were enlisted to go and find them. Is that correct? To an extent, okay. yes. Okay, I mean, I, I, yeah. Um, but my question is, was, what do you think a spy kid is? A kid who is enlisted by a spy agency. No, not according to the first film. Okay. In the first film, the spy kids are a robot army created by Alan Cumming. In the third film, oh. Alan Cumming shows up with robot kids. Yeah. And I'm sure in your brain you're like, ah, oh, robot kids. But no, um, in the first film, you are right to an extent, the kids' parents are secret spies they, get, they go on a mission and then quickly get kidnapped by Alan Cumming, who is this sort of um, Willy Wonka-style inventor who also has a TV show. 
And um, he's also just doing this nefarious plot to sell robot kids to the military. And they have dog tags which say Spy Kids. And although the tagline for Spy Kids 1 is real spies only smaller, and although the kids use espionage gadgets and all that jazz, they only really adopt the Spy Kids moniker as an organisation in the second film. Well, like, technically they are still spy kids as they are the kids of spies. Hmm. Do you automatically become a spy if you're no. the kid of a spy? No, it doesn't mean you are a spy. It just means you are the kid of a spy. It's mm. like if you... Like James Bond Jr. Like, I don't know, both our parents were uh, actors. Mm-hmm. You would maybe call us actor, actor kids, kids. Okay. because we are the kids of actors. I've never I heard... mean, I, I, think, I think it's misleading. Mm. I think it suggests, at least from the way it's marketed, that you are on an adventure with kids who are also spies. But I think... It's technically not wrong because mm. they are kids of spies. I guess you're implying that it's the law that... <laughs> I'm going to throw law into here. It's the law, if your parents both have the same job, then you are a job kid. So you would be yeah. a funeral director kid or um, butcher kids or along those lines. And so, yes, I suppose you are right, spy kids, spy kids. But um, the long and the short of it is... I watched both Spy Kids 1 and 2 in bits. I would return to them over the course of a day or two. And I thought I had missed things. And I actually re-watched a good portion of the first film to make sure I hadn't missed anything. And I was right. What happened was Alan Cumming is the bad guy. Spoilers for Spy Kids oh. 1, 2 and 3, I guess. Yes. Um, I haven't seen Spy Kids 4. We have all the time in the world. so that, No, we don't have all of the time in the world no, to watch Spy Kids 4. That's, that's <laughs> just going to be pure guesswork, I suppose. Or the Spy Kids spin-off animated TV series. No, that was advertised after I watched Spy Kids 3. And I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> so Alan Cumming is definitely the bad guy. He is not only creating a robot kid army... But he's also mutating spies into freaks of nature. It's like Cronenbergian, but it's but by way of play school because they're kind of cartoony monsters. And he he fully is fully aware he's doing this. He says, "I have mutated these people. I am this, that, and the other." But then halfway through, the guy who plays Monk in the TV show, Tony Shalhou, Tony Shalhou, he is called Mister Minion. And he overthrows Alan Cumming. And then Alan Cumming, who's called Floop, by the way, he, we're meant to sympathise with him. And he says, I wasn't, this was, uh, I didn't want it to go this far. And I'm like, but you freak, you literally had a speech with an army general saying, I am going to create this evil kid army. Both Spy Kids 1 and Spy Kids 2 feature a villain who does awful, awful things, but we are meant to sympathise them by the end of it. And actually, the villain of Spy Kids 2, Isle of Lost Dreams, he's played by Mike Judge. Okay. And he ends up as a kind of good guy in the third one, as a sort of... And there's like a line drop to say, oh, he's reformed. (laughs) I found that that very dissatisfying. Rory, what do you think is on the Island of Lost Dreams in Spy Kids 2? What kind of dreams are lost? Oh, I imagine it's dreams of children 
and they are manifested as little sprites in jars like the BFG and you give them a shake and it shows a little girl riding a pony or a little boy driving a sports car. Nothing. There's no dreams. Nothing at all. It's Steve Buscemi on an island with CGI monsters that he's created. And yet again, he unleashes these monsters and then sends the spy kids out into the jungle in pursuit of a MacGuffin. And then it's like, oh no, the monsters. <laughs> Coming to the series so late, I wasn't aware of the sort of memes and things which spread up over it. And then one thing this series does have are quite weirdly deep lines of profoundness. Spy Kids 2 um, has a quote where I think uh, Steve Buscemi, he stares into the middle distance and he asks no one in particular, uh, do you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he's created? That's deep, man. And Do you think that should have been the original tagline for Spy Kids 2? It could have been a good one. <laughs> Rather than like real spies, yeah, small I, stature or I whatever. Think I, don't se- know. I think this, the tagline for the sequel is real spies slightly bigger. Okay. Great. I'm afraid to go out there again. They've tried to gobble me up on more than one occasion. Why do they despise me so? I created them. Do you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he's created? Here on earth? Stop looking at me like that. Is he the bad guy? He kind of isn't. The bad guy is like the head of the CIA or OSS, okay. uh, which is the name of the spy organization, which is actually never, you never know, you're never told why it's called OSS in the films. You actually have to read a spin off novel, and it's something like. But it's not OSS as in OSS 117. N- I think that's where the entomology came from. The, the, the French super yeah. secret agent. Uh, the Office of strategic services well no it says here the spy organization featured in the film is called the oss the initial seems to have derived from the office of strategic services a former american intelligence organization during world war ii which later evolved into the cia but it goes on to say what the initial stand for in the spikers universe is never specified on screen but according to one of the books they stand for the organization of super spies but anyway there's no reference to dreams at all. It's just monsters, bad CGI monsters. As I mentioned earlier, the special effects were done in-house by Robert Rodriguez's own company. All of them looked terrible. And I felt like Ray Harryhausen would be turning in his grave when there was a... Uh, he was a, still alive when that was being well, made. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Apparently he has a cameo in Spy Kids 2. Okay. A film with a terrible CGI Skellington fight. And um, I don't, in the end of Spike is 3, there's some telepathy, isn't there? They can sort of... Yeah. Now, this appears in Spike is 2 for no explanation. They go into a temple on, an, on this island and they sort of imply that there's something about the temple which makes them be able to hear each other's thoughts. In the third film, we just have telepathy power. I thought it was maybe just because they're related. We communicate telepathically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not actually opening our mouths when we're doing this podcast. No, we're just hooked up the 
microphone mm. to inside our brains. Mm. So I've obviously got a little bit angry about Spikers 1 or 2. There's still merits, there's still things fun to be had. I enjoyed the second, the first half, I should say, of Spy Kids 2 because it was all kind of practical. It was all set in sets and it, it very much delved into the spy, the new spy organisation named after the evil Spy Kids in the first film. But then they reached this island and it's just full CGI backgrounds the entire time. They are deeply deeply ugly films so the difference between the settings because a lot of spy kids 3 is set inside a video game realm but how different does the look of the video game realm compare to the green screenery in the previous spy kids installments well what's the difference between reality and unreality well to give spy kids 3d its credit is that it's trying to represent a video game world so it's not beholden to um trying to create a real dinosaur or whatever spy kids 2 tried to do no much like the original tron it's um they set it in a computer game world for that very reason so it kind of gets away with that the spy kids 3d graphics the design is not always great but at least it's crisp and clean but the island in Spy Kids 2 is just murky brown. And again, the monster's just just, just horrible looking. And you have Spe- Steve Buscemi riding around on a flying pig at one point, And it's a very bad pig. He actually appears in the third film, doesn't he? But the pig is a lot better in the third film. Okay. So the miracles of uh, CGI in, in the space of a year, I suppose, uh, created that slightly more realistic, vaguely more hairy pig. And, you know, the, the, the humour of... Spy Kids 1, 2, and 3. There's just... There's one or two laughs. But most of the jokes, most of the humour, is telegraphed a thousand miles away and just falls totally flat. And, I mean, gosh, when you when you look at a kid's film, you think, well, kids find this funny. But it just seems like something an adult would think a kid would find funny, but it's not funny. As far as... My viewing of Spy Kids 3, it didn't rely much on butt jokes or toilet humour, which that's is... That's a low bar to clear, but it's important. I know, right? it's, it's important because that's what every kid's film does nowadays. Mm. There has to be a fart. There when, just has to be. No, if you go... I went, Whenever you go and see a Pixar film, you always see adverts for like a, um, a DreamWorks film, an Illumination film, and they all have a fart joke in it. And it's like... <laughs> and then... The warm bath of a Pixar film. Having personally not seen Spy Kids 1 and 2, I don't have much means to compare, like for like, as it were. But I kind of felt watching Spy Kids 3D as incomprehensible as some of it was. I feel like I was brought up to speed and just... I could assume the roles of certain characters, but there were certainly moments which made me... (laughs) wonder what the hell i hope i hope this has been explained but maybe once we you know if we get to any of those moments you can Mm. tell me overall i mean there's a scene early on where um a little girl flies into a treehouse on her pigtails like helicopter blades and i I wonder what rory's gonna make of this i did think okay okay (laughs) is this like ditzy kong or something a bit strange so spy kids 3d do we have 
Oh, a synopsis. A synopsis for the film, or as the film calls itself, a digital file. It says a Robert Rodriguez digital file. Yeah. 40 seconds in, I wrote. Oh, dear. I mean, there's a Spike Lee joint. I know, I mean, Robert Rodriguez, he does like say stuff like shot and cut by Robert Rodriguez, but yeah. I didn't expect a Robert Rodriguez digital file. <laughs> That's not going to date. <laughs> I mean, you... Oh, there's a lot of characters who spend a lot of their time... Um, saying, oh, can I get your email address or here's my email address rather than phone number mm-hmm. as if that's new and cool. So yep. Spy Kids 3D, we should say, that came out in 2003. So this we're dealing with 2003 ideas of what video games and the internet is meant to, meant to represent. So even though we didn't watch it in 3D, we definitely knew this film was trying to be as 3D as possible because even the opening logos throw their letters at you and there is not a single fucking thing in this film. They'll never not throw things at you. And I must imagine it would have been incredibly exhausting to constantly dodge nuts and bolts and asteroids and scrap metal and fireworks and flames just constantly showering you. Pogo toads. Pogo toads. Which appear. This reminded me of those rides you would go to at Universal Studios or Disneyland, like Captain EO with Michael Jackson or uh, T2 3D with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) He played that Terminator fella. But those only last 20 minutes. Yeah. This is not a long film, but about an hour and 15 minutes, maybe maybe more, is basically a, a tech demo slash ride at Universal. And, and yeah. Robert Rodriguez, he's always been kind of at the forefront of doing new stuff with technology. His, I mean... This Alita is, again being shot in true 3D and not it's not a post-production job this time around, is it? But any kind of filmmaking things, I mean, his, his fast, cheap filmmaking philosophy, it very much extends to him being an early adopter of digital mm. film and the things and that you can do with that as opposed to uh, traditional celluloid. But I wonder also whether it's a case that because this is the third movie, it has to be in 3D. Because if it's the third movie in the franchise, it has to be called something something 3D. Like Friday the 13th, 3D. <laughs> well, Spike is 4, uses 4D, smell-o-vision. Aromatron or something. I don't know if Friday the 13th, 4 also <laughs> had smell-o-vision. Imagine Just that. blood. A horror film with smell-o-vision would be great. Well, no, it wouldn't be great. But, you know, you can have some really grisly smells. Well, uh, there is uh, a Resident Evil 2 scented candle, <laughs> which is zombie flavour. And <laughs> they released a Resident Evil 7 scented candle, which you played as well. And that was meant to be kind of like must. KFC have released a gravy scented candle. Uh, my wife says no. <laughs> Attention. Attention. The new, the new Spy, Spy Kids movie. movie is so exciting, exciting. you, you have, have to cover your eyes, your eyes to see it in 3D. 3D. Coming soon to DVD. Hello, Judy. Your sister's missing. The third movie. Judy, what do you know about a new video game called Game Over? I know that just about every kid in the world is going to sign on and play it. Well, not if we can help it. The game is a trap. The third mission. Put on these glasses, and you'll enter the world of the game. 
You go in, find your sister, help her shut down the game in 12 hours, or it's game over for everyone. The third dimension. I'm looking for my sister. She's somewhere on level four. There are no rules in this game except win at any cost. You get to bring in any one person from the outside to help you on your journey. Juni, where am I? In a video game run by a madman called a toy maker. Grandpa, you can walk. Oh, I can do more than that. Well, I'm taking this to the next level. You experience the rush. You have to find your sister, Juni. You feel the excitement. Carmen's on this level. I will crush you! You have to go to me first, Game Boy. I'm his sister. Let's kick some metal. You live the danger. Mega Race, the fastest, most dangerous race in the game world. Glasses, quick! You get the glasses, because this time... Uh -oh. You're part of the adventure. <laughs> Spy Kids 3D, game over. Coming soon to 3DVD with your own set of 3D glasses. So, the DVD box. Proof of purchase. Oh, wait a minute, that's the receipt. The New York Times says it's a family-friendly, enjoyable fun. <laughs> <laughs> the Spy Kids are back again. This time, their trademark action is combined with the very latest digital technology and the thrill of the 3D experience to deliver a motion picture event that pushes family fun to the next level. Secret agents Junie and Carmen Cortez are set out on their most mind-blowing mission yet, a journey inside the virtual reality world of a 3D video game where awe-aspiring graphics and creatures come dangerously to life. This is a very long synopsis. As they face escalating challenges through increasingly difficult levels of the game, the spy kids must rely on humour, high-tech gadgets, and the bonds of family in order to stop a power-hungry villain, Sylvester Stallone, set on controlling the youth of the world. Also starring favourites Antonio Banderas, Carla Gugino, and Ricardo Maltoban in an incredible all-star cast. It's the best Spy Kids movie yet, apparently. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think that's a fairly accurate... It, it's not shy of saying that this is a video game movie, is it? Yeah. I wonder, is Robert Rodriguez a video game fan? Hmm. Do you think the idea of making a film in 3D came before the idea of making it set in a video game realm? Oh, I think absolutely. Sure. And it seems like a natural you know, combination yeah. to combine that, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz, Oz being in Technicolor jump transition. The idea that VR virtual reality would be represented through 3D because in the film, the characters wear special goggles in mm. order to see the video game realm, which look like metallic 3D glasses. You know, the idea of donning some specs is virtual reality 3d it all yeah, it all works that aspect is kind of integrated it's, it's it's still it's nicely integrated it still very much makes it feel like it's a fairground ride not as an actual movie yeah and also there's a lot of 3d stuff before the 3d portion slash video game portion of the film kicks in uh, one thing tron legacy did which was very clever which came out i think in 2010 so i was just noting down all the dates when other films came out about people trapped in video games <laughs> 
So Tron Legacy, when I saw it in the cinema, a title card came up to say that the first part of the film is 2D and we only got the 3D experience when we're in the grid. What does that say about our real world if our real world is two-dimensional but the virtual world is in three dimensions? I don't know what it says. I think it was just clever. Yeah. Yeah, it would be perhaps it would have been better if the 3D aspect only really kicks in when the film does it. Given but, that we didn't watch this film in 3D, but you can tell. You can tell. It's all over the place. Everything's um, bulging at you. It opens sort of in a theme park. And uh, were you a bit surprised that Junie was walking around not being a spy kid? Well, he's walking around being a private investigator. I don't know whether this was Robert Rodriguez trying to do Sin City for kids. This is prep. Everything he learned in Spy Kids 3D he used in... uh... Sin City was basically his, yeah, expansion on the Spy Kids noir opening. Because he's doing all this hard-boiled monologuing, talking about he's... Junie has left the agency, he's no longer a spy kid... Mm. He's now making his money being a private investigator for hire. And uh, one of his hires is portrayed by Selena Gomez in her first role. Selena Gomez went on to be a Disney superstar mm. and she, she released seems, music and stuff. I didn't know who she was. She seems as cute as a button as a kid, but now she's sort of like a teen sensation. Well, What is a teen sensation? <laughs> well, Daryl Sabara, who plays Junie... Uh, he's now grown up and he's... I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Um, Well, sometimes these child actors, they don't grow. Well, I mean, this is Ricardo Montalban's last screen role, so it could have been very upsetting. Karma. (laughs) Karma? (laughs) What do you mean by that? What goes around comes around. I don't know. (laughs) Weird. Um, I mean, interesting, just touching on Montalban a moment, uh, Spy Kids 2 was his first screen appearance at, at the cinema, um, since The Naked Gun. Okay. Um, he'd been in a lot of TV, but he came back for the Spy Kids films, and this was his last one. Okay. We're talking about Junie. So, Daryl Spy is, speaking of grown-up and singers, he is recently married to Megan Trainer, who did the All About That Bass song. Oh, about that bass. Yeah, and Dear Future Husband. Didn't know that her future husband was going to be the kid from Spy Kids. Junie, the actor, what was his name again? Daryl Sabara. He is freaking terrible in two. He is all right in one. I thought he was quite good in this one. He's kind of the age his on-screen sister was in the first one by the time we get to the third one. So I I thought his detective stuff was kind of fun. Okay. Um, I mean, having not seen the second one, you don't know. He does quit the agency in Spy Kids 2 right at the end for seemingly no reason. <laughs> it just seems like it's the end of the adventure. I'm going to quit. He is, he is a child. He's also bloody useless. The, the, the Spy Kids 1 and 2 is largely his sister telling him not to do something. He does it. Their lives get in danger and then they carry on. But in a way, he's kind of useless in Spy Kids 3. Very much so. So the reason he's doing all this gumshoe detective work is he's trying to raise money so he can buy the latest video game, Mm. the titular Game Over. 
But when he's actually transported into the world, he sucks at video games. He's no good at spying. He's no good at video games. And while it's like everyone else is doing the heavy lifting, mm. I sort of thought, well, actually, it's not falling into the stereotype of he's the amazing gamer. He knows everything. He can hack the system. But doesn't that fall into that thing where the male protagonist succeeds even though he's effing useless? I mean, well, I, was, I was really disappointed how calm and barely featured in, in this film. Why? Because is she good in the other two? I think, yeah, in the other two, it's an even-hander, and she's mm. certainly the more competent one. I have to say, through the whole, all three films, I never got the impression those two were siblings. Okay. I, ne- I never got the impression that they grew up together. They're just really bad actors, actually. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. But that's guys. the problem when you cast children at a certain age, and then they have to do two other movies I know well, that's, I know that's the thing they are it's longer. the Harry Potter challenge mm, but with Harry Potter they genuinely got better I actually I do find the kids in the first three films really really shonky and that they do get better and these as I say Junior um, I appreciate a little bit more in the first one but um, I found it disappointing how for some reason it's just like a complete sausage fest the third film it's just boys Boys, boys. Maybe it's because of that mistaken feeling that boys... It's about video games and only boys like games. Yes, they introduce one female character who is swiftly substituted with the sister when she comes back in this Mm. film. So it's like we can only have one girl present at any one time. And when they do meet, it's immediate rivalry. I mean, one thing the video box doesn't really establish, that the crux of the plot is that Carmen is trapped inside a video game so that's that's partly why she's not in it until the end the dynamic of the first two is very much about family the third film it's the adventures of junie in the digital world Mm. and then in the last 20 minutes and all the family stuff all the family stuff antonio banderas is the top build actor in this cast and he's right there at the end he arrives in the most fantastic way um via rocket shoes while dressed in a lab coat and, and also, on, on the subject of families, as you say, Junie is trying to raise money. You get the impression, don't you, that he's on his own. Yeah. He's, he actually mentions he's not spoken to his family in, like, a good long while. I think even, like, maybe a year. Well, he says that his parents are on a mission and he hasn't seen them for a while. And he hasn't spoken to his sister since December, I think he mm. mentions. And he's in the treehouse, which you probably don't know this, is in their garden. Okay. So, like, has he just not gone next door? Has no one... You don't just well, abandon no, they're on a your mission. Child. But how long is that mission? I don't know. But I don't know how spies we, work. We find out later, Antonio Banderas is working on some sort of brain in a lab. Yeah, what's with the brains? Well, in the third film, in the first film, there's a line about how the third brain is activated. So I think they established some sort of scientist credentials. But, he, but He's just playing around with a miniature brain. He is. Several and... miniature brains. But um, that doesn't seem like a mission is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't know. If I needed a private eye and then a, a child walked in in a trench coat, I would have second thoughts. But he seems to be hired exclusively by children, mm. which makes it have a kind of Bodzy Malone style vibe. That's the thing. It's like, I think the problem with this film is that it has too many children and it's children the whole time. And as soon as when we have that last 20 minutes and finally the grown ups show up, it's like, oh, thank God, we finally (laughs) actually have real actors. (laughs) Yes. But 
maybe not real performances. So Junie is saving up to purchase this, what is the uh, biggest virtual reality game in history called Game Over, the biggest video game ever made. And I think we get a little sense of the heightened reality of the world even more with the fact that the line of children waiting for it are all holding comically large pity banks. Mm. That sort of, it gives it, as you say, like a Willy Wonka style vibe. Yeah, I mean, one, again, common thing of the Spy Kids films is that all the tech looks very much like toys. Even the adults use technology which seems to have come out of of bumper cars and things yeah it's all day glow toys r us style fisher price yeah fisher price and that's very strange who is this aimed at it's just really can you imagine if james bond and and specter like daniel craig is driving around in his aston martin and then he has to go to activate his flamethrowers weird again it's like an adult thinking what do kids like stuff which looks like toys let's just talk very quickly about game over we are introduced to in disguise Mm. i might add the toy maker Mm -hmm. portrayed by sylvester stallone and sylvester stallone is a newsreader talking about how uh, if you complete level five, you'll win untold riches, toys and prizes beyond your wildest dreams. Mm. All the while sporting a fake moustache, which he adjusts in between words. We find out later on that the toy maker is imprisoned in cyberspace. Mm. So how does this newscast of footage... No one knows who the toy maker is, but... I, I just don't get the the source of this particular video in a game shop. If it's a news report, if it's a publicity video yes. which has been released from the game, Game Over. I mean, there's there's a line dropped at some point. I think Junie directly asks the OSS, why did you trap the toy maker into in the game? And Mike Judge goes... Who knows, it was ages ago. Yep. <laughs> I mean, the internet's not that old as well. It's like, you're talking about 20 years or something? Uh, also, Toymaker doesn't make any toys. I mean, are well, video games got, toys? He's got a little wind-up something. But in cyberspace. Yeah. Or in the game. I really like Sylvester Stallone in this movie. He got a Razzie for this brilliant performance. Yeah, he got worse supporting performance at the Razzies and at the Stinker Awards and he is the saving grace of Spy Kids Mm. 3D and his presence is incredibly welcome and he really livens up the material he really breaks the film up from tedium every time it cuts back to him Mm. And he really gets stuck in. And I think this is a period in his career. I mean, he's had a sort of mini resurgence lately with like returning to things like Creed. And I think this is when he was kind of forgotten. And I feel that these Razzies he got was just another opportunity to crap on him. He had missed his chance. Well, no, I think he probably saw um, Wesley Snipes and Demolition Man and thought, I could do that. 
and um, he was having a good old time. And I think Robert Rodriguez was asking for him to be off the chain and he went there. There doesn't seem to be any reason why he's trapped in cyberspace with three versions of his own psyche. One's sort of a dictator, one's a sort of hippie, long-haired, kind of wizardy type guy. And then there's this middle ground person who's, what, a doctor, a scientist? Professor type. You know, in a bald cap. But he gets to play th- three bonkers characters, and it's, it's kind of delightful. He certainly gives James McAvoy a run for his money when it comes to the split performance. <laughs> it's like split. But yeah, having watched the first two, he's, he's definitely my favourite villain. I've written in my notes here, I kind of find the bald Stallone hot. I <laughs> guess I've discovered something about myself. I guess, yeah. Fancied, I fancied the Paul Stallone. <laughs> this film, again, one thing I like about this film more than the other two is that it moves as a fair lick. Within 10 minutes, Junie, um, I think his, his money gets, his, his, his piggy bank gets cra- his, smashed. So ha- yeah, so having lost his money, he gets a message from George Clooney. Well, he talks about how he used to be the head of OSS mm. and now he is the president. Of the United States, but he was already kind of in charge of the country because if you're the head of the spy agency, you're the head of America anyway, which Mm. is a bit unnerving. He cameos in the first film as the head of the CIA. He talks about reality versus perception in terms of... Mm. I guess that feeds into reality versus virtual reality, but he's really just talking about how, yeah, we're a spy agency and... We've got our tentacles everywhere and, you know, once an agent, always an agent. But he could just cut to the chase and say, oh, yeah, and also your sister's missing. Takes him a while to get around to that, kind of burying the lead there. Yeah, but as I was just saying a moment ago, um, I feel like in Spy Kids 1 and Spy Kids 2, they they get to the the main thrust of the plot, i.e. being a Spy Kid or getting to this island, quite late in the film. But after this briefing... Within about 10 minutes, he's sat in a chair ready to go into the virtual reality world. Yeah. And I appreciated that. <laughs> At OSS, he meets with Francesca, who is Salma Hayek. Mm-hmm. And Donegan might judge. Yeah, who, again, the villain of the first. Villain of... Donegan Giggles is his full Donagan name. Donegan Giggles, okay. And basically, they explain what's about to happen. Once you get through the game, your mind belongs to the toy maker. The inventor of the game. He wants to enslave the world's youth with mind control. You control the youth, you control the future of the world. She's an ingenious hacker, your sister. We sent her inside to shut down the game. But, uh, she disappeared. How can she disappear inside the game? She didn't physically. Actually, she's right here in the building. Carmen! Carmen! She can't hear you. Her mind's still in the game. She got as far as level four, then nothing. Why would she even go in there without any backup? Because her first and only choice wouldn't answer our calls. So she decided to go alone. Now, you go in. Find your sister. Help her shut down the game in 12 hours, or it's game over for everyone. Are you with us? Okay. Then let's go. 
So I have to shut down the game, but not release the toy maker? Exactly. It would be catastrophic if he escaped. The toy maker hates us for imprisoning him in cyberspace all these years. What made you do that? Who knows? It was years ago. Now, you'll have to start on level one like everyone else. Find your sister on level four, then proceed to level five. Which is unwinnable. Level five is unwinnable? Level five is where you shut down the game. If the game is not shut down, you'll stay trapped inside with everyone else when the toy maker takes over the world. Put on these glasses, and you'll enter the world of the game. I know I applauded this film for cutting to the chase, but they already know he's bad. They already know the game is bad. Can't they just stop the game from being... Sold. Sold and released. <laughs> I mean, a, a James Bond film... You know, he's sent on a mission normally to investigate if some if somebody is bad. I mean, 100% of the time, the person he investigates happens to be bad. I mean, it'd be funny if he investigated the head of, I don't know, any corporation and he turned out just to be just really good at his job. <laughs> but no, they, Bond invariably goes to these people and doesn't know they're bad until they do something evil or then it's a, he has to try and stop them. But he always doesn't know he, this is bad. But Ready Player One, this ain't. Because he enters the uh, virtual world. And... Yeah. <laughs> um, so like I said, this... It gets away with it because it's a video game. And that's probably the highest praise I can give it. They're... I mean, when he lands in level one, which kind of looks a bit like Toy Town from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he does say, low res, which I feel like it stews a lot. <laughs> I feel that if you are bringing attention to something that doesn't necessarily excuse it. He's told he gets nine lives, which seems rather excessive. I've never played a video game where you start with nine lives. But he loses one pretty quickly because he bumps into some beta testers who we'll meet properly in a moment, but he sort of falls down a hole, loses about six, seven, eight hours worth of time mm. for he's, some reason he's followed around by like a robot head voiced by sylvester stallone yeah he does all the kind of in-game announcements as mm. uh, he's an omnipotent being in the game realm so he, he gets flung into space as you do doesn't he yeah just the so he meets these beta testers which explains why the game is actually populated because this game isn't technically meant to go online for some time so i was wondering why all these people were actually playing the game inside. Oh, you inside. know what? I, my brain must have skipped a beat because, as brains want to do, because I did why, why, wonder why these human characters were here. But you say they're beta testers. Yeah, that's how they introduce themselves. And we see audience members in a coliseum a bit later on, and they all look like they came from the Dire Straits video, Money for Nothing. Mm. I was like, oh, this is horrible. Okay, great. So they're beta testers, as you say. And they take an instant dislike to Junie. Yeah, because he's muscling in on their territory and we meet Rez, who is the cool one. We meet Francis, who is the smart one. How do we know he's smart? Because he's got glasses. Oh, okay, yeah. And we meet Arnold, who is the strong one. We know he's strong because he's called Arnold. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they take a dislike into Junie and they trick him and... It ends up him being flung into space. But the whole, like, this whole area... I think you showed me a clip from Spy Kids 1, or was it 2? Hmm. With Alan Cumming having yeah, a dream one. fantasy. And I think I said at the time, it's like Tim Burton's Willy Wonka's ni- Windows 95 screensaver. 
<laughs> and I think that that's kind of carries on into this film, at least particularly in level one when it's all, I guess, Greenland is what you would describe it being in video game terms. There's a lot of the special effects in this film are exactly the same as the first film. And yeah, I was watching Spikers 1 thinking, gosh, if there's so much CGI in this one, what is the third film going to be like? Because I knew that was coming. But he, he gets flung into space, doesn't he? He gets flung in, onto the moon. Onto the moon. Space moon. And he gets a communication from OSS and they say that they can give him an extra life and they can also make it so he can phone a friend. He can invite one person from the real world to join him in the game for some reason. And somehow, because it certainly implies when he eventually selects his grandpa and his grandpa appears in the game and his grandpa says, where am I? <laughs> it sort of implies that this game from wherever... From from wherever the game is stored, you get physically sucked in, sucked into it. You don't jack in like in the Matrix. You... Yeah, it's not like he went to OSS HQ and then went into the game just like Junie did. No, I mean he literally could have been in the shower. Yeah, or having a bath, or, or making in... sweet sweet love. <laughs> Still in the wheelchair. Yeah. So he he shouldn't do all those things. So Ricardo Montalban, I know him most from uh, Star Trek. He portrayed Khan in the TV show, and then Khan in Wrath of Khan. He is known, of course, from for his time on. Is it mysterious? Not mysterious island. Fantasy island. Fantasy mysterious island. The island of lost mystery. Yeah. So I think many people know him most for Fantasy Island. Um, he's a great character actor and. Okay, a couple of things. I felt that this film in particular made it really, really depressing for anyone who's in a wheelchair. All Ricardo Maltaban does is moan about being in a wheelchair. A lot of that is sort of the point of the film in a way. So he's complaining about being in a wheelchair, but I think he does that most because he is confronted by the fact that he is now about to face the toy maker who is the one who was responsible mm. for having him lose the power of his legs. Yeah. But so the, obviously yeah. that's going to come to the fore. I mean, when uh, Junie has to decide who's going to join him in the game, he first sees his dad and then it goes to Grandpa and uh, Sylvester, Mc Sylvester McCoy, <laughs> if only, Sylvester Stallone announces... Pro's superior intellect. Khan's physically disabled. Well, oh man. He, but he doesn't pit Machete. Machete was an option. And Mach that is a very interesting prospect for Spy Kids 3D. So I looked up Machete on Wikipedia. It is the same character. Danny Trejo. So I like to think that this character, Machete, he fucks hard and kills hard. He's a um, horrible, violent, cruel man in uh, machete movies. I like to imagine that he's just very good at compartmentalising that. And when <laughs> he's with kids, he is a pro. He's a goofy, lovable Q-type character. And he's always making adventures which don't quite work. And he's, he's actually, he's lovable and cuddly. And uh, I don't think Junie is aware that um, he's also in these films where... He's driving around on a motorcycle with a minigun on the handlebars, blowing away people. Well, the actor who plays Junie does appear in Machete, <laughs> but not, I think, as Junie. That's a shame. That would have been <laughs> quite good. But he, he goes for um, Grandpa. 
I imagine that A, he was available, which is why Ricardo Montalban is doing this and Antonio Banderas and people were, were less available. It's quite nice to see an elderly guy get, you know, become such an important thing, even though his, his sole role seems to be fly in from the corner of the screen and shout at Junior and fly off again. It's a very strange performance and I... That's, that's before he's in the robot suit. Pretty much instantaneously they get a mega legs power-up mm-hmm. and Ricardo Maltoban transforms into a robotic superhero who can walk and jump and leap and make huge bounds across the moon's surface. I mean, I never thought I'd see Ricardo Montalban in a CGI mech suit chase a butterfly across the moon. Yeah. But like, here we are. <laughs> almost instantaneously. Like, he's been brought in to help Junie and he spends most of the film just... Ignoring him, abandoning him, or just saying... Chasing a butterfly. <laughs> or just chasing a butterfly. It's bizarre. And I sort of feel like... I don't know whether it's because Ricardo Montalban was maybe not used to performing against CG and nothing, but he just seemed completely distant from everything. Like, there's the bit at the mega race where they're hurtling off... Uh, the edge of the track or something <laughs> and he basically says better grab a bite Junie and just like drifts off D- doesn't help his grandson in any way he's, just... also, he's falling himself yeah but he seems very sanguine about it <laughs> <laughs> no it's that mm. I don't th- I mean I think he was genuinely wheelchair bound because you can tell when an actor is not actually wheelchair bound in a film because they normally stand up in some horrible fantasy sequence it, Towards the end of the film, he openly contemplates remaining in this video game realm, not returning to the real world, because in the video game world, he can dance and run and walk and do all these things that he can't in the real world. And it seemed like quite upsetting. Yeah. Like like I said, I'm sure when you are in a wheelchair, you, you end up in some dark places. But yeah, I mean, he agrees that he says, okay, I'll go back to the real world, but when I do, I want you to look at me like you do now, like mm. I'm a superhero, and because I in- inside I feel like this all the time. And that's a touching sort of message. But, but I, it's... I never got the impression Junie didn't think he was fantastic all the time anyway. Yeah, because he chooses his grandpa. He mm. loves his grandpa. I thought what was weird later on was like how he's trying to be cool and not say it's his grandpa. I don't know whether it was like, I don't know, revealing his plan to the beta testers. For some reason, he's trying to keep everything secret. I don't know what his motivation is, but like he pretends that his grandpa isn't his grandpa. He calls him the wizard of Atari Sagan Endo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and has like, to refer not... to them as the wizard from then on. When all said and done, that was an impressive butterfly. <laughs> So maybe I can sort of understand it. It was perhaps the nicest looking bit of CGI in the film. But Grandpa and the toy maker, they, yeah, they have this history together. Grandpa, I mean, basically Junie Pitt, like the wrong person, because Grandpa is just like the toy maker. He's got personal beef. I've been hunting the toy maker down for 30 years. Mm. And again, that's just, it's this weird thing where like you spend the whole film wondering, is Grandpa just going to kill the toy maker? He spends the whole time just like, come on, Grandpa, we need to save Carmen. It's just like, okay, 
But now I'm going to get revenge on the toy maker. She's like, no, we can't do that. We have to save the mission. We have to save Karma. We have to save the world. And he's like, yeah, but I'm still going to kill the toy maker. <laughs> well, I mean, why not kill the toy maker? I because I, I they don't want him released. Yes, for they don't some to, reason. But I feel like I think they suggest that. The only way that he can get his revenge on the toy maker is releasing him from the game so he can kill him in real life. But all the characters, all the real life people inside the game are are still physically in the real world. And it's just their minds in the game. Yeah. Is the toy maker physically in the game or is he somewhere where he can basically stick a sock in his mouth and suffocate him? No, I mean, it seems that they have trapped him. They say they have trapped him in cyberspace. So I guess he does only exist in the digital realm. Grandpa has gone off chasing this butterfly and left Junie to wander into Rebel Rocket's stadium. I mean, he abandoned his child. Yeah, his grandchild. After being told how important this was. I've abandoned my boy! (laughs) Just baffling. Yeah, Rebel Rocket Stadium. So Robert Rodriguez has five children Mm -hmm. called Rocket, Rebel, Racer, mm-hmm. Rogue, mm-hmm. and Rhiannon. Yeah, well, anyway, so he's named the stadium after Robert. two of his children. Robert. No. No, Robert. <laughs> this robot fight, what do you think? Uh, there was a lot of zooming in. So they're kind of cool-looking robots, but instead of a head, it's like a platform upon which... Uh, Junie and what we're we going to call her rival, rival um, Demetra. Demetra. So they're just standing on platforms, looking at each other, and I, and I found it a bit weird how they're not inside the head, Power Ranger style. Junie has defeated Demetra mm-hmm. in the mech battle, as we knew he would, and he um, has been gifted a mech suit as his prize, and it makes him look like the the guy. From the bots of the game, this legendary guy, the chosen one, who mm. apparently, according to the manual, will be the one who can access level five, the unwinnable level. So in order to see whether he really is the guy, they challenge him to a mega race. <laughs> I was getting Death Race 2000 vibes off this because Sylvester Stone, one of his earliest films was in the original Death Race 2000 as Machine Gun Joe the Turbo. Just so happened to be my original net handle back in the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But this race is a little bit more Speed Racer. F-Zero. Extreme G. That's the vibe I got because it was motorcycles, wasn't it? Through tunnels and things. But I was watching this. This is 2003 and I was watching this thinking... Why would you watch this instead of the Star Wars pod race? It's mm. just so crap. It's one of those action scenes which is such a non-entity. Mm. And you feel like a lot of people spent a lot of time making this happen, but all for nothing. Because mm. the the ultimate resolution isn't much different. Like, he could have convinced them, oh, no, I am the guy, and they could have been like, oh, okay, yeah. But they do this whole race scene, which... To be an action sequence isn't really forward the plot apart from them saying, "Oh yeah, maybe you are the guy." Mm. But then he decide he pretends that he is to impress. Um, as I call it, I keep wanting to call her Demetra. Demetra, yeah. It's not far removed from the race scene in Ready Player One. After the race, Junie consults with his grandpa slash the wizard, mm. and 
decide that they have to work together as a team in order to save Carmen and uh, get to the level five. And they announce their different skill sets. So Arnold says, kind of, and it's, it's a little bit Lord of the Rings style, like, you can have my strength. Mm-hmm. And Francis, my brains, because he's the one with the glasses. And Rezes says, my cool. And Demetra says, my intuition. Yeah, there was a pregnant pause there. <laughs> my female cre- intuition? I don't know. That's creepy. There's this brief scene where they meet these two douches called the programmers. Uh, were you watching this with subtitles? Yeah. The programmers with a Z, innit? Yep. They never enunciate the Z, though. As soon as the programmers appear, Grandpa sneaks away again. And I thought he was literally on another butterfly bender. But then he does show up behind the uh, programmers and says very, very creepily, Why are you picking on my grandson? Why? (laughs) And and he says it's so dead. And I don't think he was given any direction at all. But that that makes it creepy. But that's why I feel like he's actually on like some murder mission mm. it does just everything Somebody's he does going to die today yeah everything he does and everything he says is just at this level where yeah i mean you feel like he could go on a machete style killing spree and again the grandpa does all the work in this scene he gets rid of the programmers while i think Junie was was doing worse than fuck all he, he, he was just he was about to be slammed by the programmers and this whole thing has been watched by the toy maker on like a hologram screen. And the toy maker says, he calls him a boy warrior. But he literally watched him being saved by his grandpa. It's a bit confusing the toy maker's motivations because it seems like at this stage that he is actively helping Junie and he actually gives him an extra life. He wants Junie to come to his lair. He wants to draw them in so that's why he does eventually release Carmen that's why he does grant this extra life he does everything he can to try and guide them in the right direction because he wants Junie to release him I guess that yeah. was also plan well his plan is I guess to get well his plan seems to be to get grandpa because got... he knows that grandpa will release him maybe he's multi-planning because initially we're told he wants to take over all the kids minds and then he, but when he eventually escapes, he actually just goes on a bit of a smashing spree. But you say he also wants to. I don't know if he wants to kill Grandpa. Well, no, he. But he. It, or be everything killed he's by everything he's doing is is to lure Grandpa to him. Mm. Be great if he just wanted to be killed by Grandpa. He can't kill himself in the game, but he can be killed. I know that's a little bit dark, <laughs> but it would be good if, you know... If you've grown up with the Spy Kids films, you, you're ready for some grit. So, let's go over this again, shall we? So there's no mistakes, so there's no gross errors, so there's no lack of communication amongst us. What I want, what we want, what do we want? My time on this planet is over. It belongs now to our youth. Not if we control their minds. Oh, we could, like, start the world over again and cure it of its diseases. We could begin anew. Forget what we could do, it's what we should do. Am I doing the right thing? It's not about the right thing, it's about the smart thing. 
We won't escape this place otherwise. I speak for all of us when I say, we want out! Hmm. Yeah, it justifies the means. You had the children's attention. The question is, what are you teaching them? Who are you people? We are yeah, you. Our gang have reached level three. And this is the point where one of the characters decides to have a sob story all of a sudden. And I wonder why, because almost instantly it's going to play into the next scene. So Arnold says that the reason he's playing this game is so that he can help his family through poverty because of the untold riches promised if you get past level five. And I had forgotten about the toy maker's little spiel at the start on the TV, so this seems weirdly out of place. It's like, oh, is that what you get? Yeah, so they're asked to choose their best player, and they choose Junie, and they choose their strongest player, and they choose Arnold because he's the strong one. But oh no, twist! They have to fight each other, you know, after Arnold had just told his sob story. Suddenly there are states. But Arnold basically beats Junie until he has 0.5 of his life remaining. And then Junie is suddenly tagged out without him knowing. Mm. And Demetra takes his place. Demetra he had given his extra life to because he had taken most of her lives in the mech battle. But oh no, Arnold manages to defeat Demetra almost instantly. And Demetra is wiped from the game and gets game over and at the time i'm like who cares because she's not dead she's just out of the game and i never even got her email address yeah that's the line junie says nowadays you can just google people and find them and stalk them forever yeah but grandpa says don't fall in love with a game junie <laughs> and but, but it, it's... It, he could have gone on to say I left the old grandmother for Miss Scarlet from Cluedo, <laughs> uh, but she stabbed me in the back with the candlestick in the billiard room. <laughs> How can you get stabbed with a candlestick? Very painfully. <laughs> really force it in. Yeah, it's just one of the long line of grandpa's seemingly meaningful expressions, but also meaningless at the same time. I think then this is where... For reasons best known to himself, the toy maker releases Carmen. Yes. Why? Again, I think it's part of him needing to lead them to his lair. He wants them to find him so he can entrap them and or get released by Grandpa. But this is the point where they use telepathy in which to communicate. Yeah. And he does. <laughs> but they hear each other, don't they? There's a little bit of fun where he thinks... He's hearing her, but he's actually hearing her in his mind. No, it's the other way around. He thinks he's hearing her in her, his mind, but she's actually speaking to him. He thought he was hearing her through his brain, but it was actually through his ears. <laughs> he's like shaking his head. I don't know. This is sort of the level of humour that we deal with in the Spy Kids movies. Um, but the thing is that, is that Salma Hayek and co, they're wondering why the toy maker seems to be helping. So that's when they realise there is this connection between the toy maker and, the, and Grandpa, because the toy maker put Grandpa in the wheelchair 30 years ago, and if Grandpa takes revenge by releasing the toy maker, so the toy maker will be released. So basically they need to convince Grandpa not to kill the toy maker. It would have been a nice twist if... 
the, the toy maker put Ricardo Montalban in the wheelchair 30 years ago because the toy maker was a nurse and <laughs> and um, he helped him into his wheelchair after a terrible car accident. So they were taking it too literally. <laughs> this is the point where they reach Lava Mountain, to which Genie says, why is it that every video game has lava in it? Mm-hmm. To which Francis, the brainiac, replies... In the most unactually possible way. <laughs> um, actually, technically, that's not true. There's no lava in Halo, and in Metroid, it's molten magma. Yeah, I looked up what the difference between lava and magma is, and I think he is technically right. Uh, mag- magma is underground, whereas lava is on the surface. Rory is sagely nodding because he knows this all too well. Nope, don't know, don't oh. care. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of lava surfing, as is want to happen, but they fall in, don't they? And, you know, for a split second, I was like, how are they going to survive being burnt alive by lava? Yeah, because at this point, the OSS people, they're trying to actually actively kill the in-game characters Mm. because they want to get them out of game over before the toy maker can escape so they're sending in all kinds of extra monsters and waves and, and me, stuff for me this is part of the course because in the first film i didn't know whether alan cumming was a goodie and a baddie and the oss was sort of run by a baddie in the second film and this one i'm like what is selma hayek trying to kill children in this film <laughs> it turns out the war lava is not hot under the surface yeah i yeah it's like orange aid or something mm. but at this point the rest of the gang start to have their suspicions now that Carmen's on the scene and feel that Junie might not actually be the guy because according to the manual there is also the deceiver who will lead them on the wrong way, on the wrong path. Yeah, and usually hints like this, like um, Arnold's backstory, they get threaded in earlier in the film and then you remember it, but this happens always in the scene where the thing happens. So they meet the Deceiver right away, don't they? Yeah, there's no kind of like laying the groundwork and pay off later. It's literally just like, oh, and by the way, there's also the Deceiver. Oh, okay. Well, let's do this now. Let's do the Deceivering Mm -hmm. discussion right this moment. You know, so they they basically turn on the Spy Kids. But Carmen says, you have to go through me first, Game Boy. She means the Game Boy. She means the Game Boy. (laughs) Means Nintendo Game Boy. Yeah. But turns out that, in a way, they're right. Junie is not the guy because the guy is... Elijah Wood. The big joke is that Elijah Wood plays the guy and he looks great in his sort of Iron Man armour, if ever this is pre-Iron Man. No, he doesn't. Well, apparently he's wearing Junie's costume but spray-painted and sellotaped onto him because he was too big for it, naturally. He's trying to be the hero, and it's quite fun to see Elijah Wood playing sort of an all-American hero type guy. But the joke is that he doesn't last long. Yeah. The joke is he gets almost immediately zapped. But it seems just just cack-handed. It seems not really a big shock. Again, I guess it's because I, I just don't get a sense that being killed in this game has any real consequences. I don't know. I feel like for many children, this was probably the first time they'd seen a gag like that, mm. where some super-powered hero comes in, swoops in, is supposedly meant to save the day, and then gets immediately obliterated. Mm. I don't know. I just feel that it's after three films, we have so clearly established that Junie and Carmen are the heroes. It seems weird to have this secondary character 
just appear and then disappear quite quickly. But I suppose it's a little bit of a, a subversion of the chosen one. Mm. Um, I mean, this was trope. post. This is post Lord of the Rings. This one. So I guess a lot of kids would say, "Oh, it's Frodo." But Elijah Wood would have a another shot at subverting his Frodo ness with Robert Rodriguez in Sin City, where he plays like a disturbed yeah. cannibal he's, serial killer dude. He's genuinely good, great in that. But this is only what like an hour in, and this seems to be. I thought this was almost. The, I thought this was literally the end of the film because there's a a very short, very fast sort of boss battle. They have made it still into level five, the unwinnable stage, and there they encounter Demetra, resurrected, it seems. And she explains, oh, nothing, the reason I'm here, there was just a glitch. But turns out she is the deceiver, and she's actually a hologram programmed by the toy maker. She's not real. Did you see this coming? I didn't see it coming when she was just fighting in the mech fight but once she joined the gang proper and she said she had the map and she had all this kind of stuff in a way she looks a little bit like elita battle angel or joanna dark maybe a mix of the two well, it's weird, in though. child form like i watched this film i mean we established i watched this film sort of forgetting that there weren't loads of humans playing the game i didn't realize it was just beta testers so suddenly if a third quote-unquote human shows up that does raise a big uh, exclamation mark. But, so there's okay. a fight, and then she has to do that, saving her well, saving our heroes by sacrificing herself, yeah. sort of deal. But it doesn't matter because she's just a hologram. Yeah, who cares? But I'm not sure why there's big metal apes appear. Are they just St- bosses? Well, yeah, Stallone created them. Not the toy maker. <laughs> Stallone created them to attack our heroes. No, I'm just wondering why there's big metal apes. Because Why not, okay. is the answer. So we have big metal apes for some reason. And yes, Demetra holds the door so they can escape just after Grandpa has hit the switch, which is meant to destroy the game and shut it down and deactivate everything. Mm-hmm. All the human characters return back to reality. But... I say reality, but again, reality is often depicted through green screens. I think there's a big fight at the end of this film in the streets of... Where am I assuming this is? I think I saw I saw Mexican flags. I'm assuming it's the streets of Mexico City or something, but it's all depicted with um, backdrops seemingly lifted out of a karaoke machine. So yeah, they're, they're in the real world and then they hear lots of thumping and they put on the 3D glasses and there's, there's the CGI apes have made it into the real world. Because they're basically interviewing Grandpa afterwards and they're like, now, Grandpa, you did switch the game off because there were two switches right next to each other, one which deactivated the game and one which released the toy maker. Now, which one did you pick? And he goes, I did release the toy maker but not by accident which kind of defeats the joke of having two switches side by side i think ricardo maltaban just gives everything he attempts to give everything he says gravitas so it's like i am going to get some milk yeah it's unwarranted gravitas (laughs) I, i did quite like the idea of monsters being invisible until you put on the glasses they live for kids they live for kids? They live. John oh, Carpenter's I see. <laughs> the apes live for kids, I thought you were saying. <laughs> I live for kids. <laughs> mm. 
No, um, I mean, they don't seem to be doing any sort of actual damage to the buildings. They're just running around doing a ruckus. We're not going to talk about when George Clooney does a Sylvester Stallone impersonation? Oh, I suppose. But we've, not sure. we've just said it. <laughs> okay, that happens. I'm just not sure why. No, because it's kind of fun. It's like incoming message from President Clooney, but he hasn't taken them over. But he starts glitching and Clooney starts doing... Uh, uh, mm. I'm the toy maker. That show. Uh. The the credits have behind the scenes goofs and fun funsies, and yes, George Clooney doing a Stallone accent is kind of fun. Yeah, and then he says afterwards, "I think that just killed my career." Mm. I don't know how much power Stallone had to to kill careers at that time. I wonder whether Stallone even knew that scene was being shot and then when he attended the premiere George Clooney is taking the piss out of his voice. So this is like the big fight but by gum it is weak source because um, they call upon all the characters from the earlier films by a couple. You can't help but notice that none of these characters actually really interact they are all clearly shot in other parts of the world or at different times and they're just dumped in front of this background say a bit of dialogue and then sort of punch metal rope giant metal apes it's a little case of too little too late because it does it's it's one of those things where once antonio banderas shows up you just feel like oh god i've missed you (laughs) i mean i haven't seen one and two but like his presence you know, they don't keenly con- missed. You say that, that they don't really contribute much in the okay. other two. And both in both films, they're kind of either tied up or driving to find the kids. It would have been nice if he was to be in a bit more, but it, it's more weird that they were, if not, didn't have much screen time, they were still kind of important. And in this one, they just sort of show up. The parents just show up. What do you think about Cheech Marin? Because he just shows up and says, I am the uncle. And then he fires... Then he's got his rocket boots. And his rocket shoes go up into space. Yeah, sure. Because it's calling all Cortezes, so mm-hmm. all the different family members show up. And then call everyone, call everybody. And that's when we get Floop, Alan Cumming. That's mm-hmm. when we get Minion, Tony Shahoub. Does he always have, like, three twisted faces <laughs> emerging from his own? Uh, no, that happens to him at the end. It sort of delves into sort of body horror right at the end of that uh, first Spy Kids it's film. It's gross. Yeah, not done too well. As well as their robot children. Then we get Bill Paxton portraying the part of Dinky Winks. I was a tired man by the end of this third Spy Kids film, but it was all worth it when he arrives with a, with a parasol and exclaims, Somebody ring the dinkster? My, I am a, a happier man for having seen Bill Paxton uh, say that and then yell at a metal ape, game over for you, pal, game over, which is a clear reference to aliens. Yeah, and also his actual real-life son... Oh, is it real? ...plays Dinky Winks Jr. I see. I mean, one of the special features on the DVD is uh, Big Dink, Little Dink, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, I assume goes into that in more detail. Let's hope so. Um, they, yeah, they call the, the Giggles the two other rival spy kids from Spy Kids 2. And Romero, Steve Buscemi, who, who arrives on his aforementioned flying page, Sporky. How do they defeat these apes, ultimately? Well, it's all down to Grandpa, because mm. he then fires off on his rocket chair into the Stallone <laughs> bot. It is like a rocket. He just fires off it. It's actually yeah. quite hilarious. 
He says this to the toy maker, because of my wheelchair, I missed my daughter's birth and wedding. Sort of makes it imply that, I mean... Did she hold both of those up some stairs or something? I don't, it's bizarre, or it sort of implies that she was born and then very soon after was married. But he does remark that despite the fact that it was the toy maker who caused him to lose the ability of his legs, that yes, there was all the bad that came from it, but all the good that Mm. came from it. Humility, spirituality, understanding. And the reason why Grandpa has spent all these years searching for the toy maker is not so that he can take his revenge. Mm -hmm. It's so that he can forgive him. Mm. It would have been good if he said, I forgive you so I can now murder you with a clean conscience. And then... Just strangles him. Strangles him. I mean, I kind of expected both of them to die. I thought they were going to go down in that metal ape together. I think the toy maker, his heart softened, deactivates them. Then the ape collapses and... Then both Toymaker and Grandpa appear out of the top of it. Yep. Hmm. But just, but yeah, just the Toymaker says that's basically he'd been sort of running away a little bit. He was scared. He was scared mm. of what Grandpa might say, but it was all he could ever have dreamt of was to hear him say that he forgave him. What's quite strange is that they. During this sequence, everyone can't see the apes until they put on the glasses. And then when the apes are collapsing, some of the characters take off their glasses, but certainly act like they can still see the apes. Well, they're deactivated. They're cloaking capabilities and oh, non-existent. I thought... Probably. I don't know. if Was it a cloaking device or was it that they're just digital? Who knows? I want to know the science. Um, You're not watching this movie for the right reasons, then. No, clearly not. So... It's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Yeah, I remember Stallone saying that like it was the best bit of dialogue (laughs) he'd ever said. And then they all, yeah, celebrate family. Mm. They celebrate, the only way they know how, talking about family a lot. Just like Fast and the Furious. Mm. And they, but they don't talk about how Junie was penniless up a tree house while the rest of the Cortezes were like eating their, you know family meals just abandoned yeah i know i've been pretty down on the series but i do stand by what i said i don't think i'd actually recommend seeing any of these films as i said if you what if you show these to your kids i think you're a bad parent but there's so many other kids films you can show them but out of the trilogy i think this is worth out, out of morbid interest just to watch <laughs> but is that more out of just general filmed entertainment or for the video game movie fan or for someone who has an interest in video games mm. i mean even though this film takes place in a video game realm and there is the very occasional reference to video games and this could be set in any fantastical realm yeah. to be honest the, it doesn't really play into the video gaminess no. as much as you know ready player one the, or most Tron. Re- the most recent jumanji whole plot point is like having lives and, mm. and special abilities but no this just happens to be a 3d world i just wonder whether the people making it and that's why i asked whether robert rodriguez is a video game fan whether there's 
stuff about levels and lives and power-ups and such, but it does feel like your dad wrote a video game movie, you know? It, it's sort of the design of everything, the the way things are framed, it's, it's like someone hasn't played a video game in a while. I think I appreciated the wacky tone to an extent. When it comes to Robert Rodriguez approaching family films, he goes more into the Tim Burton territory, you know, going for something heightened, something wild. He's not interested in realism in the way that, although something like Desperado or The Faculty is occasionally trying to be cool, at least there's some sort of grounding to it, whereas this is bonkers before they go into the video game realm, just the world they exist in is is strangely constructed in of itself. But I found overall, yeah, the film was just flat and uninteresting. For all the wackiness and for all the attempts at humour, it's just very lifeless and it really only perks up when the grown-ups are doing stuff mm. and unfortunately that doesn't happen much it's only really for the bulk of the film Sylvester Stallone carrying the movie <laughs> on his shoulders with his best performance since Ants <laughs> well I think that that's a good place to end our review on Spike is 3 I, I guess the only thing I need to ask is after my ringing endorsements of Spy Kids 1 and 2, do you think you want to see either of those films or Spy Kids 4, We Have All the Time in the World, or maybe check out that Netflix show, Spy Kids Critical Mission? Uh, I don't see myself bothering with 4 mm-hmm. or the TV show. I'm curious to see 1 and 2. Just as a means of comparison, but maybe I think I will wait a little while mm. before I re-enter the world. Watching all three within the space of a couple of weeks is crazy talk. I was the one who insisted that we we did this film, but um, it'll be interesting for you to see the films in in reverse, whereas I saw them as they are meant to be seen. Maybe I'll watch two and then one then. Maybe. Yeah, looking through the list of films we've done so far, I think this is my least favourite oh, film really? we've done so far. I think our next film is about as far a cry as possible from the kiddie antics of Spy Kids. I see what you did there. Yeah, because imminently the new Far Cry video game, what's it called, Rising Dawn? New Dawn. New Dawn. <laughs> uh, that's coming out imminently, so we thought we would go back to the well that is Uwe Boll and his film Far Cry. Um, in the meantime, though, uh, how can people keep in touch with Games on Film? Games on Film can be found on Facebook and Twitter at Games on Film Pod and all episodes on SoundCloud.com slash Games on Film Pod. We're also individually on Twitter at Rory Steele and I'm at Only Man Who Can. And please email us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com if you wish to get in touch and please do. Please also like, rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast and share it with friends, family, because it's Spy Kids. 
<laughs> share it with your kids. Why not? Don't. I've told you. Don't share this film. Well, share the podcast with the kids. But yes. not, not, not spy kids with the kids. No, no. But exciting news. We've also gone even further into the cyberspace realm. Yeah, we have now got a website. Ooh. There's a web. You can get the uh, websites on the internet now, as uh, Homer Simpson once said. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's going to be a nice little hub where you can find kind of all our audio content, some fun stuff like trailers and a bit of news. Uh, there's also options to, um, to help donate to the podcast because um, this is something which uh, isn't free to uh, uh, create. Sometimes we have to... Uh, get films <laughs> like uh, Far Cry. The website address, it's a bit of a mouthful. It is uh, gamesonfilm.wixsite.com forward slash podcast. Wix site is spelt W I X site. Um, there is a tiny URL version though, so if you want to uh, give your hands a rest, uh, if you go to tinyurl.com forward slash GOF pod, that's where you'll find us. And also the music for this episode and every episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Well, thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, even if we didn't necessarily enjoy the film. Um, but onwards and upwards with Uwe Boll's Far Cry next time. Thanks very much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.